Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. David Richards. Hello. Andrew Mason. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Leonardo Tegon. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. I just Thank tried to accent having... that up real nice. How do you say your name? Leonardo Tegon. <laughs> so, rough ballpark. I was okay. You want to introduce yeah. yourself real quick? Uh, yeah, so I'm a software developer at Plataforma Tech. This is the company that uh, created the Vise, SimpleForm, and Elixir language. Yeah, so I live in Brazil, Sao Paulo, and been working with Ruby my whole career. And lately, I've been doing a lot of open source, uh, maintaining the device gem. Uh, this is basically what I've been uh, more excited about. Nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So I'm curious before we dive into device and warden, um, how do you wind up working for a company like Plataforma Tech and working on some of these open source projects? Because device has been around for a while and it seems like a lot of people still are using it and it's it's still well maintained. And so yeah, what's it what's it like coming into a project like that? I, th- I think it's it's amazing. It was uh one of the things that uh actually made me wanted to drive the company. Like to be able to work on those kinds of projects. Of course, not everyone who works here uh, helps with open source. Uh, right. It's mainly an after work thing. You know, we have to do some some of it in your free time. We do uh, get paid for that. We have extra paid hours right now. So it's not like free work, but you still have to be at the office after after hours because mm-hmm. our main our main work is with consultancy. Right. For me, it's a, it's exciting. It's, it is a lot of excitement. Uh, I was to to do some open source and some smaller things, you know, side projects, that kind of thing. So for me, what's it, it was a great opportunity, I think. Cool. Well, to, to get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about this talk that you gave about alternative authentication methods? Yeah, so this was uh, last year at RailsConf in Pittsburgh. Basically, I wanted to give that talk because I think... Not enough people know about that. Usually, and I think this was something that was, uh, it's kind of our fault too, is, you know, the way you teach people to do things by writing blog posts, you know, in wiki articles, that kind of stuff. But usually when you say, I want to do something different in authentication, like using uh, JSON API, JWT or something like that, usually what you do is you override the sessions controller from the device, right? This is kind of the most common thing that you see happen, happening. But uh, you can, since device is just using warding for authentication, with basically it's just a wrapper. We delegate everything for for warding uh, under the hood, so 
you can actually create a custom warden, uh, custom warden strategy to do that for you. So in the end of the day, you have a warden strategy to authenticate, say using a JWT token or something, but then you can still use uh, the other device features like uh, uh, email confirmation or password recovery, that kind of stuff. So you can like create another controller and use your own controller. So you don't have to be, you know, handling that inheritance thing. So I think it's simpler. And if for a lot of use cases, it's enough, but it's not something that's well known in the community. Cool. So I guess the other question I have is, I think a lot of people know what device is. You've talked about Warden and the device uses Warden. But what, what does Warden do? And then what does device give you on top of that? So Warden is a rack middleware for authentication. So if you don't know, like rack, it's a chain of middlewares. So you have a lot of applications on top of each other. And then you, you end up passing uh, the environment hash. It, this is what we call it. It's like everything a request contains. So, for example, Rails does that uh, to keep sessions or to do logging, all of, all of those kind of stuff. Warden is one of those that it's a middleware. It will uh, read a couple of parameters. For example, you create a custom strategy and then you say uh, you want to sign in a user using an email and password. You have a middleware who who reads those parameters and then keeps the user in the session and then you pass that session to the next middleware. So like every middleware uh, down the stack will have access to that current user. This is what we do in device. So Warden is the one who gives us all those uh, capabilities. And then device has a Warden strategy to, to log in a user using uh, email and password. So we give that for people to people for free. Um, there's also a strategy, a rotting strategy, including device which does the remember me feature. So before you actually try to log in the user, uh, we have a strategy where we check for a cookie and, and try to decode that cookie and log the user in. So we give two strategies for authentication. And then device has all the other features around, which are sign up, uh, email confirmation, you can lock an account based on failure attempts. You have password recovery, all those other stuff that comes with. Those are all device, uh, except for the authentication part. This one is is being do, is actually done by Warden. And so this might be a little bit off topic with the with device, but one thing that I've kind of been interested in doing is cache warming. And with cache warming, we basically say that okay, this page has a lot of calculations it's doing. And so I want to have a background job that will re recache this when it becomes stale so the end user doesn't have to wait. And if that screen relies on something with the warden, so it, it references current user within that template or whatever, then you usually get some kind of uh, warden proxy is nil or some kind of issue like that. So how would you get around that kind of issue typically? Does that make yes. sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's because um, when you're doing a background job or we have some other people asking for that, like if you have something like action cable, or if you are rendering templates outside of the rack, 
middleware you you will have the problem because wiring is not being uh, executed in that context, so you don't have access to the current user uh, variable. What you would have to do, uh, I think it will depend a lot on the case, but you have to find a way to pass that to like to, if, if you have a session cookie, if I handle authentication in a cookie based on a, on a browser, like you can have that in the background job, right? You have to find a way to, to like pass uh, some, some reference to your background job to like to try to, to look up for that user later. I think it depends a lot on the case, uh, what the solution would be, but yeah, like you, you can use Warden because it's a rec middleware. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's great to know because I think with the Action Cable is the instance where I first ran into that when I was doing it. And I ended up having to do something similar like that, but I wasn't sure if there was a more canonical way of doing it. Yeah, no, yeah. This is basically what I say to people right now. Um, we thought about doing something in the gem to handle that, but I think uh, like each use case is so different, so I don't know if you can do something general enough who can be good for everyone. I'm actually very open to suggestions for that because <laughs> I myself I'm not I'm not very uh, experienced with action cable. I haven't messed around much with that. I haven't had that problem myself, uh, so I'm not the best person to you know come up with the solutions. We we actually have I think we still have a, a issue open. And uh, I, I mean, if someone has an idea of a way we can give people something for free, that would be good for those kind of cases. That would that would be great. But right now, I think that's the way to go. Great insight. So what authentication strategies have you actually seen used with Warden and Devise? Kind of talked about someone with JWTs. Can you actually do the magic email link? I think you can, yeah. I think you can. So, someone asked it uh, in the past. This is something... We haven't thought about including the in the main library, but we encourage you they doing a separate gem. I know there are gems that actually do custom strategies. I think there is a device JWT who who has a a warden strategy. I've seen two-factor authentications authentication with warden strategies, and I, I think you can do the email link. Like when you have um, warden gives you some methods. So you can probably, you have a method, you call like a success callback or a fail callback, and you can call up and you can say pass this strategy. You can have a bunch of it. Like in the, in the example I said before about the remember me token, this is, this is what we do, right? If you try to read a token, uh, remember me token, but you don't fight it, we call pass. And then it goes to the, to the email and password strategy as a fallback. So I think, I think you can pretty much do a, a magic email thing. And so I think the magic link, it, it's an interesting idea, but what about like tapping into hardware? So if someone has a web camera or with face ID, something like that, being able to have a warden strategy that would allow touch ID or face ID authentication. I know Apple or, you know, whoever manufacturer would have to open up the APIs for that. But would that be a possibility for device down the road? I think if you, if you, like, if you have APIs, there's nothing that would, there would be like, like an obstacle for that. I think, I think it's, it will pretty much work. Like if, you, if I can receive the parameters uh, in, a, in a request and I can in a way check whether those parameters match with something that I have that can be a password, that can be, 
a token in a magic mail link that can be uh, like a hash or something that I get from a, from a face ID. I think that's pretty much it. Like if, if, if you have something uh, in your backend and then you get something from the request, you can do, you can do that match. You're pretty much fine because Warden is a very low level API. So it just gave you a bunch of callbacks and then you have to, to like create the logic yourself. It doesn't give you much, much for free. Device is the one that does that. So yeah, I think, I think that would be fine. That would be amazing if like those people opened the, their APIs for us to, to mess around with that. Yeah, I think there is one. Uh, it's called WebAuthN, which is a wrapper for that API. But I, I haven't really looked into it too much to really vet to see if it's a seamless process. Yeah, that's interesting. Me neither. I might check that out later. Yeah, one other thing that occurs to me is that all of the examples I've seen for basic, basic HTTP authentication in Rails, you basically just set the username and password somewhere in a controller, which isn't what I want, <laughs> right? I'd like, you know, basic authentication to, you know, work with the user's table or what have you. And so I'm also, I'm kind of liking the idea of, you know, maybe setting up a strategy for that so that, you know, I can just run that kind of authentication there. Yeah. You know, I, I do love though, especially with device, um, <laughs> how modular it is. Like, like the architecture of, hey, yeah, if you've got an idea, plug it into something new, build a gem, and it, it allows us to try new ideas. I remember in the battle days before, before device, and every time there were a lot of tools we could use, but it just wasn't like, all right, let me plug this in or approach this. And it just seems that I don't know. Uh, I, well, this morning I was trying to sign my wife up with something, and their their um, authorization um, system basically didn't allow me to do that. It's just kind of a strategy of it's a, it's an important product feature to be able to plug in things the way we're expecting to use them today, and to keep up with how things are done um, instead of inventing it new every time. So, device has been around for a while. I'm I'm curious. What features are you working on adding, if any? Or is it mostly just, you know, prepping it for Rails 6 or Rails 7 and, you know, keeping it up that way so that, you know, any security issues that come up get fixed? And then do you actually build extensions for device over there? Yeah, so um, I've, been, I've been maintaining it for about a year and a half, I think. Mostly we are maintaining, keeping it working and, you know, like adding support for new Rails versions and Ruby versions, like you said, we actually had to support the Ruby 2.5, which was kind of crazy for me. That was like a syntax change in a controller. But yeah, we are mostly doing that. I think it's like like you said, it's been around for 10 years or so right now. And I think it works pretty much good for the, for what it does. Like it's a, an authentication for a, several rendered websites, which is something that... Uh, it solved it well in the when it was created, and right now, of course, there's a lot of people wanted, you know, frontend apps and AJAX logins, JWT, those kind of stuff. And the truth is, is a very huge uh, legacy code, right? So if you want to like add a bunch of uh, those kind of huge features, I think I don't know if it, the work is like, I don't know if it's worth it. I feel like it's good to keep it as it is. You know, it's a very stable stuff for people. 
you can rely on it because you know it's been around for so long it's covering so much so many edge cases you know if if you just want to have an authentication for html website server 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 rendered you can choose it and you do the job just fine so i think that's a better choice than you know having to rewrite a lot of stuff and then having the risk of breaking like this stuff we are actually good at it and I'm actually a maintainer, right? I'm not the one who like started to write the code. We, ha we have not that much people who started, like we have no one that actually uh, wrote the code uh, originally. Uh, I mean, Josiah is still on the company, but he's doing Elixir now. He doesn't even remember a lot of stuff. I mean, I ask him for help sometimes. It's been like five years, a five years commit. He doesn't remember the reasons. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't either. So I think I think it's very good to keep it like my goal right now is to maintain it like stable and reliable for people by doing what she does very well today. But I think, you know, if people wanted to do those kind of things like JSON authentication, JWT, we have to give them uh, some alternative. So this is this is why I wanted to show uh, the custom authentication things with Warden because I think it's it's enough for a lot of user cases. But then if it's not enough, I mean, there are probably some other gens out there who do who do the newer stuff better than we would. So I I think that's that's good, you know, for the ecosystem too. If you like, if you wanna that whole different stuff, if you wanna do magic mail link, uh, maybe you can use something else that that's actually that actually was created thinking about those use cases, right? So yeah, this is basically what we are doing right now. And I actually never created extensions. It's kind of funny because. I've been maintaining lately, but I'm not actually, I haven't encountered those cases where I needed to create something else for it. I worked a lot with device in the past where we had to uh, extend in a bunch of ways, but lately we didn't have that, we are not having that much of needs uh, for it. So yeah, haven't done any extensions. One thing I was really surprised by, like knowing this project's like 10 years old, there's only 30 issues on it. So what kind of goes into maintaining such a long running project and, you know, doing issue triage and just making sure that you maintain the stability of the code, but allow it to move forward at the same time? Yeah, when we started maintaining, there were a lot of things to, to you know, a lot of issues opening and pull requests. So we have to do some like cleaning. So it was, most, it was mostly issue triage. There are some features, you know, smaller features we are still uh, accepting them. We released, released some stuff in the latest, the last two or three versions, I think, the minor versions. But then one thing that I learned throughout this year is that you have to be so much careful. You have to be uh, conservative in the things you accepted because since this thing has been around for so long, uh, you have no idea how it's been used uh, outside, right? And since we work with Ruby, you can like do something, you can like hide a class, like everything is public API, basically even a private method, people can call it directly. So there are cases where we analyze it stuff. Like if you are in your day-to-day -day job, you just, you analyze a change and then you say, oh, this is, this haven't changed anything for the final user. All their tests are passing. I think we're good. We can release it. And then lately there was someone who was using that in a whole different way. And then we don't want to make like a pain for people to upgrade. So it's always those, uh, you have that trade-off, right? You don't know, uh, like 
do I hold back that change? Do I don't hold back the change? We usually try to uh, to talk, see like if they can do something different or if they're like, they are really an edge case. Like first, if it's one people, then maybe we'll keep it the code as it is and like help them to, to upgrade. But then like we had like two or three situations, I think two situations where there were so many people that were like, okay, we got to do something different. Just to give a, a bad example for you, um, we mostly on the mostly all the stuff is in the device when you save the user uh, or the resource as we call in the code we call save validate false right why we do that I, I had no idea and then we had an issue where people were being able to like a user was being created even though the validations failed right uh, in like in the trackable module if i if i recall correctly which is the one that you know saves the IP and signing count and kind of stuff, and then I was like, okay, we can just remove validate false, right? And that that would be good. But then that changed the behavior for so many people because, like, it's not a feature, but it ends up being a feature since this has been like this has had ten years, and then all their applications are working, relying on that particular behavior, right? So, for me particularly, uh, it was very it was very weird to see to have like invalid records in your database right if you have if you enter rails console and call valid or some on some record for me it was it was something that it was very unusual to to like to that to return false but then we discovered that that's not it's not that uncommon right a lot of people have that in their applications you know you release a new code and then maybe you have them run a, a migration to like update old values or I don't know. There are a lot of user cases, but I know I know now that this happens. So when we released that version, like a lot of applications were not like signing the users anymore because of that, which was a terrible, uh, terrible issue to have when upgrading. And this was a, a minor bump because for us, it was a bug, right? Like same version is, is is very difficult in those situations. You you'll be like, okay, we're we are fixing a bug. Like the user was created because we're not calling validations, right? So now we're calling validations. This is a bug. We're bumping a version, but you know we changed an application behavior, and then and now they can't like update without doing something. So yeah, in the in the end of it, a lot of people uh, were mad because they said, okay, this should be a major version. If, like if you really wanted to change that. It should be a major version, but the real problem was that for us it was a bug fix. But then, uh, since it was being used for so many applications, we just decided to fix it in a different way, so it, it, so people could upgrade it in an easier way, right? We don't want to make a, a nightmare for them. But yeah, so I think it's like one of the biggest lessons is to be so much so more careful. Like right now. Uh, I try to think like in no uh, crazy ways where people uh, can be using that code, so we don't we don't have the risk to to break that kind of stuff again. So is device ready for real six? Like I come through the issues real quick, and I saw a couple that mentioned things related to real six, but I'm pretty sure I spun up a real six app with device and it worked. So is it ready for real six? I think it is. Actually, wanna. Um, when Rails 5 was out, we, we were a lot of a, bit, a little bit reactive. We had to stay a while, uh, you know, bumpy stuff. And then this time, when the beta was out, we included in our Travis CI pipeline. So we were able to see like stuff breaking before 
there was actually something like there was a change for a redirect stuff there was rolled back later but i already had a fix ready for that so i think we're pretty much ready what people have been complaining is that because in our gens pack we have like minor 6.0 and that is because we wanted to people to be able to like do gen style uh, with rails 6 beta but not like Rails 6, because then you're, as a gen, you're saying that you support it, but, you know, we're not sure if there was some kind of issues yet. So we wanted to do say, hey, you can use the beta right now, but not like the final version. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw that issue. Been a while that I don't check it again, but I actually tried with a new application and it was fine. I think it's pretty much okay. We still have to see why those people are, you know, not being able, they're actually failing on a gen style step, the bundle style step, I think. But as for the features are all working as as I as I recall, I actually tested manually a couple of times. Yeah, the tests are passing, so it's pretty much it. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, you spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash rogues. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Yeah, I've been using Rails 6 with Devise on a couple of new applications I've been working on, and I've not had any issues. In fact, one of them, one of the constraints I have is different user accounts via the subdomain. So depending on what subdomain name they're using, that you can have that same user email address across multiple subdomains. So they have multiple user accounts. And it was surprisingly easy to do. And that's kind of like one of my most favorite things about device, but then also one of the grievances because with Rails, you know, there was always, you know, that saying that there's so much magic going on. And once you kind of get in there and you start seeing things that it's not really so much magic, it's just convenience. But I kind of have that feeling with device that there's just so much magic going on that to enable the subdomains for device authentication, you just make a couple of little configuration changes. It's nothing crazy. And I was thinking that I was going to have to you know, bring in the device uh, registration and session controller and do some major hackery, but that wasn't the case at all. So I was really shocked at that. And it's kind of cool. You know, I'm glad that the functionality is there, but I still have that little intimidation factor of just all the, quote, magic going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I never I never actually uh, used that feature, but I don't know how much uh, is the is, is it device is doing. Or I think in this case, like you said, you haven't changed much, so it's probably all device. But there are a lot of stuff around that were done by the community too. So if you enter the device week, it's so... It, it's it's so huge 
there are so many articles, so that helps a lot too. Uh, since it's been since it is so popular, someone probably done what you need before review, so you can you can rely on that. So I think that's great for the ecosystem. And for the convenience part, I agree. I think sometimes, so obviously, since you can have a whole system working, which by running two generators and, you know, that, that's it. You Obviously, the library is making a lot of assumptions for you. So this means if I always say that to people, like if you, your company, if your product is successful enough to have to to be in a in a large in a large size you have to change a lot of stuff and this might hurt obviously because the library took so many assumptions to you which you know are some things are things that uh, make sense for a bunch of people but then if you want to make a different business if you want to make something uh, like innovated for for a website you probably have to change a lot of stuff and that might not be easy mostly because we gave all that convenience uh, in the beginning, right? And I think this is, this is a trade-off. If you go to the other way and then you have a bunch of, you know, smaller, like a really modular thing, like we could have a bunch of gems and a whole plugin system, you know, saying, okay, this is a password recovery thing. Uh, this works with everything, not only with device. You could have a bunch of, you know, building blocks, smaller, smaller building blocks. And then, of course, you have to do a lot of boilerplate in the beginning. Uh, something like we have in the JavaScript world, you know, you have to build. If you get a, if you want to build a React application with Redux, TypeScript, and all those things, you have to, you have to build like that. You know, it's very complex to build that package.json file. And then in the end, people have like projects who help you with that, like the Create React app. So I think this is a trade-off you gotta navigate on. There's probably a sweet spot in there, which is very hard to, to find uh, where you have enough convenience, but then it's easy enough to change when you need to. I think Rails does a bad, uh, very good uh, job with that. Device has a lot of copod stuff. So like I said, if you, like, if, you, if you get big enough and you got to do something very different, it might be hard. It might hurt a lot. It might be actually be worth it to, to build another thing to just drop it but i mean the good thing is if you started small and like device might might have help it help with you so much in the beginning and save you so much money which it could be worth it but then if you don't have to change it in the future you just stay with it and then it saves you a lot of time is making you uh, working on other stuff so yeah it's a trade-off in the end i don't know if it, uh, if that's clear for for everyone but yeah, when a library is doing so many for you, we definitely make assumptions. You might pay the price for that in the, in the end. So we've talked a bit about um, extensions versus what goes into the full library. How do you decide what goes into the, the library at this point? Like if you get a feature request, is it pretty easy then to just identify that and go, no, yes, yes, no? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's not that easy and it's a very subject thing, you know, we can disagree on that, maybe, and maybe I may, I I might not having the best you know judgment. You know, it's a very subject thing. What I try to do right now is like if it gets very popular, then we might do it. You know, because so many people want it. Honestly, what we try to, what we try to do first is you know is this something that will change? Like 
it will be so complex to to implement that will be a, a big change we will have to uh, break backwards compatibility like all those things uh, get in the equation but lately uh, a lot of times there are things that that sound interesting to me and then but then you know when people ask it and it's something so specific that that we just say okay if it if it gets very popular we will consider uh, merging in, in in the in the main library but by now you can just create an extension so it's mostly i think cost of cost cost of uh, development cost of maintenance and popularity i think because some people really want a feature they might even uh, develop that uh, entirely and then just send it as a pull request but lately of course we will have to maintain it right not everyone sticks around to maintain stuff so if that adds a lot of maintenance costs it might not be worth it because we just don't have like like the time in the the time to do it obviously i'm not doing full time so if we add something that's very the the maintenance cost is a very important uh, part in the, on the on that equation how easy is it for new maintainers to contribute to the project because it's such a legacy project is there a super high bar to entry or is it easy for someone to you know come through the issues see something they also want maybe or some feature and then to make a pr and get that accepted for the feature part I'm, i mostly i ask people to open issues first because um you know it's actually it's a bad experience for people to jump around and write like a, a huge feature you know you spend a lot of time and effort in that and then lately uh, the maintainer just uh you refuse it which is which sucks so we say in the in the contributing guide for for people to uh, create a pr first and then we discuss it but you know i think it's it's intimidating for some people uh, as it is uh, with open source in general but you know the device code i think the most unusual part for rails developers is the whole warding part so the warding strategies you got to understand that concept to see uh, to understand how it works but then a lot of the other stuff are just uh, regular rails building blocks like password recovery you have you have a controller for that and then you have a module for that so i think like the other features they are not that unusual for people who are already developing rails if you have to jump around and like stay some time messing with the code and make you image put put some some print statements in there and use something like pry you will be you will be fine but again it's just it is a legacy code so there's a lot of like huge methods the same things like that which makes it harder to understand so i think this is one of the reasons also who makes it a little bit harder for people to contribute but yeah and, and then but in the end it is not is not something very magical i think there's not like uh, a lot of meta programming or things like that it's just there are a bunch of controllers and modules from a legacy legacy application so they're they're huge but if you stay on it, you you can pretty much understand it. That that's how I I've been doing in the past. <laughs> so how many people are currently working on device? I've been maintaining more actively. Um, there are some two people uh, here in my company who are helping more, like constantly. And then every now and then someone will jump in and, and help. They're not someone else who is like doing it 
like every now and then how how I am doing. One of the things that I that I want to do next is you know make it easy for people to to jump in. And by that I mean not only not only people from platform attack but also all people from the community. So for example, we have a lot of we have some open issues that I've been putting the labels. So there are labels who who says needs pull request, but then in theory someone could just jump in and say, okay, I'm going to do a pull request for this, and that will be fine. But that usually is like a huge issue with some very deep discussion and then it's very hard for someone who was not who was not involved to know what they have to do in the end so this is this i think this makes harder for people to to jump in and contribute so what i want to do is to get into this those issues and write a guide for people who wanted to to start contributing to those issues and then just say okay we discussed this uh, this is the problem this is how we're going to solve and I actually give them some direction of, you know, the files they got to work on, and, you know, like a direction of things they, they got to do, uh, which will make it easier. Of course, this is not like a step-by-step because uh, you might find different stuff that you have to do in the, in, the, in the way. But, you know, just to give a better direction so people can be more comfortable to start. And then once I, I do this in, in all the issues that are, you know, needing pull requests, and then I can send for people inside and also for, and also people outside. So I think that that will be more easier for people to start helping. I say that because a lot of people in here, sometimes they talk to me and then say, okay, I wanted to do something, but you know, since there's that big you know obstacle in the front of them, they, they end up not doing it. So I think you know I can do more stuff to make it easier. And then hopefully we'll have more people helping. Not only the device, but also uh, all the other gems we have here too, because I've been doing more open source with device, taking care of more of it, because it, just because it's the bigger one. But we have other gems who also need to be maintained. So that it would be good to have more people helping. Cool. Anything else from anyone else? Leonardo, if people want to follow you online or connect with you in some way, where do they go? I have a Twitter account. Uh, it's called... Tegon L, which is basically my last name in my in the first letter of my name. On GitHub, I'm just Tegon. You can follow me there if you want to see what I'm doing coding. On Twitter, I do tweet, tweet some stuff about programming, but not that much. Uh, there's a lot of silly stuff in there too. But yeah, I don't have a blog. Uh, I do post stuff on the Platform Attack blog, so you can, you can go there if you want to see. There's a lot of other stuff from people from here too. Yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about a great system that I just found that has made my life a ton easier. That's Cloud 66. A lot of folks think that deploying is a pain. I kind of grew up as an ops guy, and so I never really felt that way until I tried Cloud 66 and realized that the way that I was doing it with Capistrano, pushing stuff up to DigitalOcean, it really was kind of a pain. And when things didn't work, I had to go in and I had to bang my head against the wall to figure it out. Plus, all the setup stuff was just a big headache. And what I found with Cloud66 is that it's a really nice way just to get everything set up. I just told it I had a Rails app, and off it went. It set it all up, it does the deployment, and now that I have other developers working with me on PodWrench, which is what I'm using it for here, all I have to do is give them access, and then they can go push the button for me, and it gets deployed. It's really nice, it's straightforward, 
It has all of my environment variables in it, so I didn't have to do any setup that way either. I just had to go in, put in my AWS credentials and a few other things that I was using for third-party apps, and it set it up and ran it. So if you're looking for a great solution for deployments, use the promo code RubyRogues, that's all one word, capital R, capital R, RubyRogues, for $66 off Cloud66. This only works for new users, but man, it is awesome. So go check them out, cloud66.com. All right, well, let's do some picks. Andrew, do you want to start us off with picks? Yes. Uh, my pick is a talk that was at RailsConf this year. It's called Rethinking the View Layer with Components by Joel Hall Hoxley. Sorry if I butchered that. But it was it was a pretty interesting talk, and I have rewatched the video since, and it's basically trying to pull some of the patterns that React has around creating components for your views and making it work in Rails. And if anything else, it's a very interesting idea. So I would highly recommend everyone check out that uh, talk. It's on YouTube right now. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Nice. David, what are your picks? I've got a, a different one today. It's called CalTopo. It is the most amazing tool I've ever heard of. And it's for uh, finding places for hiking and camping. And they combine 10 or 12 different uh, mapping tools all in one tool, including the ability to measure where you're going, elevation, forest cover, get the wind, get the snow, get the rain, (laughs) distance, everything, the fire history. It's an amazing tool. So as we're getting ready for our summer hikes, uh, CalTopo is our unbelievable technological solution. Free service. (laughs) I need to check that out. I'm planning on taking my kids camping a bunch this summer. Dave, what are your picks? All right. So my first pick is a tool. It's called a water pressure gauge tester. And essentially, if you ever need to adjust a water pressure in your house, chances are you have a pressure reducing valve that just has a little screw on the top that you can tighten or loosen. That's going to either increase or decrease your water pressure. The problem is if you increase it too much, you could cause damage to your pipes or appliances. So with this pressure test gauge, you can actually see the pressure that you were dialing into on the water reducing valve. So it's just a safe way to not blow up your house and have a lot of water damage. And The second pick is recently I came to the realization that for my specific use case, 32 gigs of RAM was not quite enough. So I ordered from Otherworld Computing uh, 128 gigs of RAM. So now my Mac's running 128 gigs. And it's been really, really nice to have, you know, Google Chrome and Slack open at the same time. So Whoa. Oh my lord, please teach me. I was very happy with Otherworld Computing. I've heard about them for years and years, but just never ordered anything from them. So it was a great experience. I have. I've upgraded RAM and a couple of Mac minis and things like that, and they'll sell you the whole kit. It is really a great place to go for that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, they even sold me the adhesives to reapply the screen on the computer. So it was, um, it was a great deal. Yeah. So now it's great, except for when it glitches out suddenly. (laughs) Yeah. But if you have an iMac or something, I don't recommend you doing it yourself because it isn't involved in complicated process. So disclaimer there. But 
if you are adventurous enough, then give it a shot. Yeah, if you thought I have an iMac, I can't spill Coke in it, Dave opened his up. So, (laughs) all right, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. So I'm getting really close to the relaunch of devchat.tv. And there are a couple of things that I'm really excited about that I'm just going to throw out there. One is, is that I've started actually doing Twitch live streams. I'm sure they're terrible. (laughs) Watching me live code. Uh, When I was doing Teach Me to Code, I could edit out the most egregious hiccups. Doing it live, you can't do that. But anyway, I've been enjoying that. I'll put a link to my Twitch in the show notes. But yeah, I've been building it in 11DJS. I think I've probably mentioned all this on the show before. We're using um, Netlify for the hosting, at least for the static, uh, whatchamacallit, for this, the, the beta site. I'm probably actually going to use them for the full-on website. Full disclosure, they are sponsoring some of our shows, not this one. They might wind up sponsoring this one. We'll see. But they've been really, really helpful even before we were talking about a sponsorship arrangement or anything like that. So I'm really, really digging it. And they've got a lot of tools that make that kind of website easier. If you're doing open source, incidentally, it's also a good place to you know launch your static websites if you don't want to use like GitHub pages or something. But yeah, then as I've been setting it up, I've been setting up a lot of the social media stuff as well for some of the shows. Not, not that it wasn't there, but just some of the automation around it. And that's been really nice as well. So... I've been using a system called Repurpose. And the only issue I have with Repurpose is that uh, I upgraded to their um, highest plan and I ran out of connections for my podcasts. So I still need like five more to get all the podcasts up on uh, YouTube and Facebook Live and things like that. So working that out with them, but uh, loving the tool. And uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going on there. The other thing I want to shout out about just because a lot of this stuff is imminent. We have a number of shows starting within the next few weeks, either starting to record or starting to release or both. So one is a DevOps show. We've adopted the Food Fight show, which was a show that was run by a couple of folks that worked over at Chef. Uh, Nell is going to stay on as a panelist and we're going to rebrand it to Adventures in DevOps. And since that one already has traction and you know, we're, we're essentially just going to co-op the RSS feed and stuff, we don't have to do the sort of standard launch with a handful of episodes in the feed. So that one will probably start releasing here within the next couple of weeks. They're recording next week, the first episode. Another one is data therapy. And uh, hey. David can tell you a whole lot more about that than I can because he is one of the hosts on that one. Do you want to just give a quick elevator pitch on that? Oh, I'm so excited for this one. It's a Charlie Rose style format right now, which is Rex Griffiths interviews me. And we're talking about how data works in business. We're talking about data science. We're talking about tools, systems, costs, hiring teams, managers, expectations, return on investment. We're talking about the current state, how long it should take, setting expectations. It's fast. It's dynamic. It's a little bit of a different format. We've been going back to uh, cabins and doing um, (laughs) lots of new recordings just to get it just right. And very, very excited for the show. Nice. Couple of other ones that are coming up. Um, Sustain our software. Um, they've recorded two episodes so far, so it'll probably launch in a few more weeks. And that one has Eric Berry on that. If you miss hearing from him, he only really had time for one show. And open source sustainability is kind of his shtick. He, that's what he's really into right now. So, Sustain our software is going to be that show. 
I know I'm missing one or two here. Let's see. Adventures in Blockchain is also starting to record next week if you're interested in blockchain. And the other one is Adventures in .NET. And that one's going to start recording here within the next few weeks. So lots of stuff going on. The new devchat.tv ought to be up soon. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for people to find what they want. And I'm adding some features to the website that were just not super simple to get onto the website like um, hosts pages and things like that. So you'll be able to see a host profile and all the episodes that they've been on and things like that. So anyway, just throwing all of that at you. I really appreciate the help. There are a few other tools that I'm using, but I will save those for later. Leonardo, what are your picks? Great. So uh, I saw a really great talk at RailsConf. Uh, it's called Teach by Learning, Lead by Teaching. It was by Betsy Habel. I really recommend that. He, she just uh, walks walks uh, the audience around by how you have how to mentor uh, junior developers, which is a very hard thing to do. And not always we are good at that. So it was a very inspiring talk for me. And I also have another one. This one is a book. It's called Fluent Forever. The book I've been reading lately, and it has a lot of tips on how to to learn a new language. And it goes through a lot of, you know, psychologic stuff of how uh, emotions and experiences help to learn a lot of words. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah, that's that's basically it. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for coming and talking to us about Warden and Devise. And I think we even got a little bit of open source uh, sustainability, maintainability stuff in there. But we appreciate it and we will uh, wrap this one up. We'll catch everyone next week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.